0: When we come to the Lord's table in just a few minutes, uh, the elements are a little different. Uh, We got weary of hearing everyone say the bread tastes like plastic. Someone told me it tasted like the the cone of an ice cream cone. So this one has real bread and it's gluten free. uh, But it's fake wine, it's apple juice, I mean grape juice, (laughs) apple juice. so uh, I thought I'd tell you that now so we don't spend time when we get to uh, the Lord's Supper in just a few moments. So let's let's uh, look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 and following for a few minutes as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. For the past few weeks, we've been looking at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, which was verses 1 to 12, which deal with the Beatitudes. Those are the characteristics of a follower of Christ. And now we see the influence of a follower of Christ. so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So ends the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Our fathers, we just prayed. We ask that you would open our ears and eyes to your word. pray that you'd be present with us. In Jesus' name, amen. What possible influence can the type of people described in verses 1 to 12 have in this world? I mean, we typically don't think of influencers. Being poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who are meek, uh, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Typically, that, that's not the type of people we expect to see on the cover of uh, of magazine. Those were ask your parents what those were, but you don't expect to see their picture. You know, top influencers of the of the particular this particular year. So Jesus gives a very very simple um, couple of metaphors that anyone could understand because salt and light were present then and now in every home. Every house had these. You know this passage well. Probably out of the entire Sermon on the Mount, this passage is the best known by people. So I realize I truly am speaking to those that have heard this and probably taught it many times. He begins more with a negative metaphor, and that is salt. You are the salt of the earth. Now, a Christian is something. There's been a change from our... our, The old man has become a new man. The old heart of stone has become a heart of flesh. There's a difference between a person who belongs to Christ and a person who doesn't. And if there isn't, then something's wrong. But Jesus is stating, there is a difference. You, my followers, are the salt of the earth. And this change has come about now because of faith in Christ. And you've been made a new creature. And so as his followers, he calls us salt. Salt provides flavor. It seasons. If you eat food with no salt used whatsoever in the preparation or if you put salt on your food, typically it's bland, especially certain types of food, vegetables, tasteless almost. And the Bible is saying that apart from God, life Life itself is bland. The world in its sin is boring. The pleasure of the worlds are temporary. They satisfy, but only for a while. Those who pursue the p- living just for the pleasures of this world will never be ultimately satisfied. I had a friend who grew up and, and uh, he, he, was, he was a life of any party. If there was alcohol and gambling and just a fun time of laughter, he was the center of it. He was converted in college. And he went with a friend and the friend's father, not long after he had become a Christian, to Las Vegas. And he came back and uh, we said, "Well, well, James, what was it like in Las Vegas? He said, you know, they're doing the same things we were doing in the fraternity house but they're doing them with more money and more class. He was like, it was boring from the standpoint of some of the um, edgier things they were doing. So believers provide flavor in the world, and it preserves. You know this. You know in the first century, especially in the Mediterranean area where Jesus was, that There were no refrigeration, there was no ice per se, and so the temperature was 90 degrees six months out of the year. And one of the main industries was fishing. Well, to take fish that were caught in the Mediterranean or, say, in the Sea of Galilee, if you caught fish in the Sea of Galilee and you took them to Jerusalem, that was a two-day's journey. And so the fish had to be packed in salt to keep them from spoiling. And Jesus says that his followers are the salt of the earth, the world apart from God is, is rotting, it is deteriorating, but through his power, his disciples are salt and a preserving and a purifying effect upon this world. Now, if we understand this, it keeps us from two mistakes. Two easy mistakes to fall into. The first is to think that the world is basically good and getting better, that history is, is linear and that we're, it's always improving. And it used to be, you don't hear people talk like this, but about 125 or 150 years ago, you could read certain authors, and it was very much an optimism that the world's getting better and better, that we are moving toward a time when all war will be eliminated, where all disease will be eliminated, where the poor worldwide will be provided for, where education will be provided for everyone, and because of education things will get better and better. This was believed and it was taught in the late late 1800s. That was a common school of thought, you might say. People don't talk like that anymore. You don't hear anyone talking like that anymore. We no longer have the hope of curing all medical problems. We don't hear talk about uh, solving the world's hunger problems and optimistic that, they, that we can solve everything with education. If, if good character and education co- go together, as was taught, that if you just teach someone, then things like crime will go away, where would the most crime-free place on the, on the world, on the planet, be? A college campus. You ever seen how many locks are on the dormitories? College campus, you ever see the police riding around with security? And it, it, there's no combination with that. It's not as though education solves any of that. So mistake one, uh, mistake number one, is thinking that the the world is just getting better and it's basically good and will gradually get better and better. But mistake number two is thinking, well, because that's not going to happen, because the world is rotting then Christians should disconnect from the world and just be in our own little monastic-type groups. And so we surround ourselves with people in the church. We could live uh, just a separated lifestyle. But the salt, he says, never does any good if it's, uh, it, if it's sitting on a shelf. It has to be uh, dispersed. It has to be rubbed into the meat. And so believers should... In obedience to God, be rubbed, you might say, like salt, into every sphere of culture, whether it's in education or the business world or politics or media or literature or at home, medical fields, everywhere. Everywhere. I urge young people today, if you're a young person and you're thinking about what the future may be, pray where God will use you the most. If it's in a vocational ministry, great. If it's, if it's running a business or serving in a business, Serve God there, and God will use you in places that you never dreamt of because you're salt. It's amazing how, how one person can change things. I remember in college hearing of a psychological study done where they took like seven people. And in this study, with just a small group of people, seven, they had told uh, six of the people that they were going to ask them a question, and they were to give a wrong answer. It would be like, here's a, here's a, a card with a color on it, and the color is purple. And the, but the color in reality was, was red. So they asked the first person, what color is this? And the person, knowing that what they were supposed to say, said, well, it's purple. Well, the, purpl- the person, the one individual who did not know that everyone else had been clued in to the fact that, that they were to say purple, though that wasn't the real color, sure enough, when they got to the seventh person, that person said it's purple. But if one person, if one other person gave the right answer, in almost every case, that last person would give the right answer. The point is, if only one person stands up often and questions something or says, that's not right, the way you're treating that person isn't right. The way you're talking about that person isn't right. The way you're dealing with this person, it can affect that one little bit of salt, can affect the whole whole meal. Second, he says you're the light of the world. Uh, The light of the world. This is the positive metaphor. The world is in darkness. What is this type of darkness. It's, a, it's ignorance, ignorance about the things of God. We, we don't lack general knowledge. We're gaining general knowledge all the time. But as far as uh, a growing ignorance of ultimate truth, of eternal truth, knowing who God is, knowing who we are, knowing why we are here, knowing what's going to happen after after we die. That type of knowledge is waning. So we are in darkness. You think about as a culture that how little common knowledge there is now about the things of God, and things are said that just don't make any sense. Historically, they don't make any sense about God uh, today, and and there's no working knowledge of, no framework for the Bible. Three years ago in 2017, Christopher Nolan's movie on Dunkirk was released, and I assume probably a, perhaps a majority of you have seen it, but it taught a younger generation who is not that familiar with that uh, epic event in, in World War II, it taught them and showed them how Hitler's army had blitzkrieged across France, and now these Allied troops, primarily British and French, were at a last stronghold uh, on the, the beach at Dunkirk on this coastal city in northern France. And uh, there, the, book, the book that I read on it is called The Miracle of Dunkirk, because what happened really was a miracle. But here's what I want you to know. While these almost 400,000 soldiers were trapped, uh, they had no way to fight against the the German uh, tanks and the Air Force, which was blocked off because of being overcast. But they sent a message back to, to England, and all it said was three words. Here were the three words, and if not. What was that, some code? Do you know where that comes from? Don't say it, but if you know where that comes from, would you raise your hand? Okay, I'm I'm glad. There's there's several. That at that time, everyone knew what they meant. Because they knew the story from the book of Daniel, where Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, under King Nebuchadnezzar are thrown are going to be thrown to the fiery furnace. And it says, I'll read you the verse, it says, Our God is able to save us, and he will save us. And if not, we will remain faithful to him anyway. Now, isn't that astonishing? That they took three words from that verse, and if not, and they were saying back to the people that could rescue them, we will remain here and our God will deliver us. But, and if not, we're still going to remain faithful. Of course, you know the the story of how the boats rescued some 338,000 soldiers there. But we no longer hold common religious beliefs or even the knowledge about that. So what does light do? As we wrap this up, it exposes darkness. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I've only flown out of New York City a couple of times, but um, one of those was at night, and You know, as far as you can see, in all the windows of the airplane, in every direction is lights. There would be no way you could hide that. And he's saying a city, a corporate group of believers cannot be hidden. We can't. Even if we tried, we cannot because we've been changed. We've been converted. And light shows the direction. It points to the proper path. And so Jesus is the light. And what we do, we reflect that light we reflect the light of Jesus. And as a result of that, people see. I was blessed to grow up with two Christian friends. And I watched them literally for years. Uh, I watched how they behaved. I watched how they talked. Um, They were there. And it was uncomfortable at times because they were salt. But at the same time, they were light. And I knew that person knows the right way to go. I'm not willing to go in that direction right now, but I know that he knows because I've watched him. You know who needs you to walk strongly with Christ? The unbelievers in your life. Never, never think, well, I want to make my Christian brother or sister, physical brother or sister or my parents, I want to hide my Christianity so that it it doesn't make them uncomfortable. No, they need you. They don't need you to uh, beat them over the head with it. They don't need you to, to argue at everything that's said. They need you to walk with God. They need that salt and light, even though at the moment they not, may not want it. But probably, probably a good portion of us, if not the majority, came to faith in Christ through the testimony of a relative or a friend. Because here's what God uses to change people. He uses exposure to his word and exposure to his people. So who needs you to walk strongly with Christ? Unbelievers do. They won't say that, and you won't feel that, but that's what's needed. Everyone needs a a clear Christian testimony lived out in in front of them. God's process for reaching out is through the testimony of his word and his people. Let's pray together as we prepare to come to the Lord's table. Father, we, we have been changed, and this table is for new people, not perfect people, not people that are totally conformed to the image of Christ, but we're in the process. And we thank you that you're molding us and bringing forth Christ-like character that shows mercy and pursues righteousness and mourns over our sin and is meek and humble toward others uh, and hungers and thirsts after righteousness. We thank you for the promises of that. We live in a day where salt and light is so greatly needed. Uh, There are people that are perplexed. Uh, There are not eternal answers uh, given about questions that have substance. And so we pray for humility. uh, We pray for love, uh, even for those who hate us and uh, who would insult us. And ask that we would care and that we would walk with you. Thank you that you've given us, even as, our, even as it grows in darkness, it would appear, Father, that the light will be that much brighter. And uh, we pray your presence now as we come to your table. In Jesus' name, amen.